Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the great joys that I have uh, as a priest in this diocese is the warm collegial relationships that I have with with, uh, other priests. And uh, one fun manifestation of that has been uh, every Friday afternoon and now every Sunday afternoon, one of my colleagues gathers us for a, uh, a social hour on Zoom, which is always fun. And then uh, on Wednesday mornings, another group of us gather together, also virtually, for our weekly Bible study, at which we will look at the texts that we'll be preaching that Sunday. And so the two big questions that we had this week as we, uh, as we were thinking about this Sunday, number one, why on earth does the lectionary have the Beatitudes as the reading for All Saints Day? What do the Beatitudes have to do with the saints? Another year where the raising of Lazarus is the prescribed gospel. That would seem to make more sense, but the lectionary writers and their wisdom have given us this text for today. And the second question is, how on earth are we going to preach the Beatitudes? After all, it's one of those passages of Scripture that is so familiar, that has been uh, preached so many times that, frankly, so many people have memorized at some point, that you wonder, what, what new thing could I say about this? Not that every time you get up there, you're supposed to say something new. In fact, if that's your goal, you're probably going to get heretical before long. But how am I going to bring a fresh message on this text that's so familiar? It's a challenge we often face on Christmas, for example, when everybody has seen Linus read that story from Luke, and so we all know it. The other challenge with this text, with the Beatitudes, is I think it's a text that is very easy to get wrong. It's a text that's very easy to read the wrong way. Now, obviously, we never want to read anything the wrong way, but especially a text like this. So, I'm going to say with some trepidation that... uh, the reading I want to offer this morning is one that makes better sense of the Beatitudes than many of the others that I have heard, including readings from some very wise and learned and godly people. 
So you may have heard the Beatitudes described. In fact, you may have seen sermon series on the Beatitudes plugged as the B-attitudes. Ever seen that one? Saying the B-attitudes are the B-attitudes. They're the ways that you're supposed to be like. The be like this attitudes. And if you can be like this, then you will be blessed, which is the meaning of Beatitudes. The problem with that is it really is hard to figure out how you would do that. Take the second Beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn. I mean, if your job is to be mournful, should you make friends with a bunch of people who are sick? Should you take a bunch of risky business ventures so that you can lose a bunch of money and be sad about that? It, it, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that you really could pull off if you wanted to try. Usually that is something that happens to you. You are mournful, you're grieving because you've lost something that you care about. Obviously we don't care about things that we expect to be taken away from us. Certainly nobody goes into a relationship or a venture with the goal of having to mourn something. Or take the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, for one thing, it's kind of hard to understand what exactly Jesus is talking about here. In Luke, he says, blessed are the poor. Here in Matthew, we have him saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, of course, it's not like Luke is, uh, is saving words. I mean, it could be the case, but most likely this is the kind of thing that Jesus would have said a whole lot of times, the Sermon on the Mount, here in Matthew's Sermon on the Plain, and Luke, the evangelist, write down kind of his, his stump speech, his greatest hits. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Is he talking about people who are depressed? Or is he talking about people who are, have some sort of spiritual poverty? Maybe they're really bad at the religion thing, people who never can manage to pray and read their Bible every day, people who miss church a lot, people who… That, that can't be right. Why would Jesus say, blessed are you when you don't come to church? Why would He say, blessed are you when you're depressed? There's nothing blessed about that at all. It's miserable. Anybody who's experienced that knows. And if you wanted to be poor in spirit, what would you do? How, how would you manage that? How would you pull that off? It's a challenge that many of us have faced when we read these and we, we see Jesus say, blessed are you when, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. I don't even understand what that is, but even if I had a guess, how, how, could, I, how could I get myself to that place? It, it may be helpful if we step back a bit. I mentioned that both Matthew and Luke give us some version of this long speech, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Sermon on the Plain in Luke, both of which are headed off with the Beatitudes, different version in, in Luke. Luke also gives us the, not only the blesseds, but also the woes. So woe to you who are rich, for example. You've got all you're going to get now, and, and uh, um, you're not going to get anything later. 
But I especially like the way that Matthew sets the scene. There's sort of a cinematic quality to Matthew's gospel here. At the beginning, we read that when he saw the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. That's the kind of, uh, the kind of introduction to a situation that we get usually when Jesus sees the crowds and runs away from them. He saw the crowds and then he went up on a mountain to pray. Or he saw the crowds and he went, got in a, uh, a boat. He, he saw the crowds and he went to the, to the other side. Here he saw the crowds and he went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. And you can imagine if this were being shot on film, there Jesus is sitting down maybe on a rock up on a mountain And he's got his disciples, his 12 disciples, gathered around him as he's teaching them. And he's looking each of them in the eye as he says all the things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount. But then at the end, the camera zooms out. And you see, as Matthew says at the end, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he spoke as one with authority, not like they're scribes. So it starts out with Jesus just in this intimate group talking to his guys, and then at the end you see that he's actually speaking to a whole crowd of people. If you've been to Israel, there's this, the Mount of the Beatitudes where they've kind of guessed where that happened. There's also a beautiful church there that I really loved until I found out that Mussolini built it. Still a beautiful church, it's just kind of hard to enjoy it the same way. But when you think about that, when you think about the whole flow of what Jesus is doing there in the Sermon on the Mount, you realize the Beatitudes are His introduction. The Beatitudes are the beginning of His speech. The Beatitudes are what He is first saying to His audience. And what is He saying to them? All of you who are poor in spirit, you're blessed. The kingdom of the heavens is yours. All of you who are mourning, you're blessed because you're going to be comforted. Those of you who are meek, who get stepped on, you're going to inherit the earth. Those of you here who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, those of you who know things are not the way they ought to be and have a a hunger for things to be right, all of you who know what justice looks like and know that this isn't it, all of you who desire God's righteousness to permeate the whole of existence, you're blessed because that hunger, that thirst, They're going to be satisfied. All of you who are merciful, even when people aren't merciful to you, you're blessed because God is going to show you mercy. All of you who are pure in heart, you're blessed because you're going to see God. So you can imagine the people listening to Him there on the mountain, His disciples and all the others, Not everybody fits every one of these categories. But when he spoke to the person who was mourning, who was feeling anything but blessed because you're bereft, he says, actually, 
you're blessed because the kingdom of the heavens is right here. It's at hand. God is doing something new. There's a very wise author named Dallas Willard. Some of you may have read him. He was a, a philosopher and a Southern Baptist minister. He put it this way, no one is actually told that they're better off for being poor, for mourning, for being persecuted, and so on, or that the conditions listed are recommended ways to well-being before God or man, nor are the Beatitudes indications of who will be on top after the revolution. They're explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. The Beatitudes single out cases that provide proof that in Jesus, the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. So the very things that would make you feel anything but blessed, Jesus says, these circumstances, even these circumstances, are not beyond God's ability to bless you, to be present, to walk through them with you. So my brothers and sisters, if you have been feeling guilty when you read the Beatitudes. If you've been feeling guilty because maybe you're not poor enough in spirit, or maybe you're not mournful enough, maybe you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness enough, maybe you're not getting persecuted because of righteousness or having people insult you for Jesus' sake, please stop it. This is good news. The Beatitudes are good news. Jesus didn't say them to make you feel guilty. Now, there are parts of the Sermon on the Mount that I think are supposed to make you feel guilty. When he talks about how anybody who is angry at someone has basically committed murder in his heart, that's supposed to make you evaluate really how righteous you are. That, that is an appropriate response. But here, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking words of grace, words of love, words of blessing. And what this has to do with all saints, I think, is that all those saints would agree. I don't think Blessed Andrew particularly enjoyed being persecuted, but he knew that he was blessed, not because of the persecution, but he was blessed because Jesus was in him, was with him. And so, my brothers and sisters, we are blessed, not because of our circumstances. We're blessed in spite of our circumstances often. We're blessed because the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus Christ is at hand. It's right here. It's ours and it is for us. Amen.